Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. At the series talking about this, the, the, the relationship of discipleship, the relationship of discipleship and how that needs to be intentional. Uh, it's really impossible if you'll think about discipleship, it's kind of impossible for, for you and I to be involved in discipling or being discipled by somebody else unless we're in a relationship with someone, unless there's some connectivity taking place between uh, our lives and the life of somebody else. It's logical uh, because of what I just said. You kind of can't do it unless you're uh, relating to someone and you're trying to be discipled or you're trying to disciple somebody else. But it's not only uh, logical and practical, it's biblical because I think the Bible teaches that we need to have relationship with other people so we can disciple them and so we can be better disciple ourselves. So that's more or less what the message is going to be about today. The problem with this, in our day and time, in our culture, we've kind of, I think, surrendered the ability to disciple people as much as we should by the busyness of our culture. I think we've almost allowed Satan to kind of lull us to sleep in, in our nation and in our churches to where we're just so busy we convince ourselves, well, I don't really have time to go and build a relationship with someone. I don't have time to go visit this person. I don't have time to make a friend so I can try and get them to Jesus because of the busyness of, of, of our culture. And, and we need to understand there's something called community. And in terms of Christianity, something called biblical community that, that I think is, is really, really hurting and lacking in the day that we live in. Some of us grew up, and, and by that, I'm, I'm aging myself, but some of us grew up when we actually did things like walk to our neighbor's house. And, and I don't mean someone that just lived right beside of you. I mean, you may walk. I, I kind of lived out in the country. I had to walk at least a, a kind of a half mile down a dirt road to get to my closest neighbor. And some of us grew up like that, and, and, and you'd walk to your neighbor's home, and and you'd hang out on on the front porch. We love you. Don't even know what a front porch is, maybe because we don't build those in too much anymore. But but we'd, we'd hang out on the front porch, and we'd and we'd kind of talk, and, and you know, and, and have a friendship and a relationship, and see how they're doing, and let them know how we're doing, and and do things radical like maybe give each other prayer requests. But but that's the way our culture used to be. There used to be more of a sense of community. There was a time when the church was like the center hub of the community, when kind of everything going on in that community circled and revolved around things happening at the church. And we've lost that. Because what's happened in this day and time is this. We've entered into a culture to where we have this mentality. We're going to go home. And we're going to draw up the drawbridge, and we don't want anyone bothering us and anyone messing with us. We want to go home and be left alone. Now, I understand the mentality because of living a busy life. 
But I also would suggest this to you. That allows Satan to have a huge victory when all we do is go to work and we come home and we draw up the bridge and we lock our doors and we fail to have a relationship with our neighbors and, and not just the neighbor right beside of you, but, but other people that, that's in your life because we are so worn out by the business of our culture. We just want to go home, lock the door, eat, turn the TV on, and then fall asleep trying to watch TV. Is that not true of our culture today? And, and the problem with that is it, it, it allows Satan to win a huge victory because you and I, who are supposed to be building relationships with people so we can share the gospel with them, we've stopped engaging in relationships. We, we've stopped interacting with people to where that cuts down on our ability to find out if they're a Christian, for us to maybe model Christianity before them, and for us to have a chance to to hopefully share the gospel with them. So today's message is kind of <coughs> kind of like a wake up call for us that we need to wake up as believers and and that we need to build relationships with people. We're going to talk some about the Great Commission in just a moment. By the way, it's a commission. It's kind of a command that Jesus gave to his disciples. It wasn't a suggestion. Well, maybe do this if you want to. It's a commission, a command. And you'll see as we get to that part of the message that it's really impossible for you and I to be great commission Christians. It's impossible for us to fulfill the great commission unless we're relational. Unless we're building relationships with other people. In order for you and I to make disciples, we have to be very relational. In order for us really to truly be disciples ourselves, since Jesus commands us to go and make disciples, for us to be disciples ourselves, we have to be very relational. Ourselves, even for you and I to think, hey, I'm going to fill the role of a disciple. You have to be very relational <clears throat> with other people. Being relational Building relationships with others so we can be discipled and also disciple others requires that we become very intentional in building relationships. Relationships, most of the time, I dare say 99.9% of the time, relationships don't just happen. You have to be intentional in trying to build relationships with other people. So in order for us to take steps in that direction, we have to be proactive. We, in other words, we have to plan. We have to decide, God, I, I understand now what you want. God, I agree that you want me to be engaged in the lives of others so I can try and disciple them and, and, and try and be involved in, in their lives. So we have to be proactive. It's not just going to happen. We have to take intentional steps to build relationships with other people, to build relationships with fellow church members and fellow attendees at Day 3 Church. We need to be intentional. That's why we do things like our, our small group ministry, our life groups, guys, where you have a chance to do life with other people. And some of you might not have ever, well, I know some of you maybe have never been or not in a long time been in a small group. And the next time you hear us talk about small groups, you need to engage in that so you can be relational and, and build relationships with other people. Not only do we need to do that with, with people that attend this church, we need to be very relational with, with our neighbors, 
We need to be really, really relational with coworkers, even strangers, people we don't know that maybe God puts in our pathway. We, we need to learn how to build relationships with them to where we can kind of earn the right to speak into their life the truth of the gospel. So today we're going to talk about those pathways. We're going to talk about some pathways that you and I can be more relational, how we can walk these relational pathways if we're going to be disciples and make disciples for Christ. Let's talk some about that in, in terms of the Great Commission. The, the relational pathway, the relational discipleship pathway of the Great Commission is what I want us to look at to begin with. <clears throat> Here's the Great Commission. Most of you ought to be fully aware of that. It's something you've probably heard in church a, a lot of times. Here's Matthew's version of it. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. As we talk about this pathway of building relationships with others that's commanded to us in the Great Commission, there, there's something that's kind of implied I want you to see to begin with. There's a relational discipleship pathway that's pictured or implied in just the disciples going on this trip that Jesus told them to take. They're going on this trip to receive the Great Commission. The word for disciple means a learner. You know, sometimes I think we get uh, so uh, whack out maybe uh, about the word disciple, and we think, well, that just talks about the those 12 disciples. Well, to be honest with you, the ones they are receiving the Great Commission are more than just the 12 disciples, is what most theologians believe. There's probably a, a pretty large group of disciples that were there with those disciples. But being a disciple doesn't mean just those 12 disciples. Just those 11, really, since because of the way, uh, the, the way that happened with Judas and, and all. The, the word refers to anyone that's going to be a, a pupil of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, that we're going to learn in any way possible we, we can. We want to learn and understand the, the life that Jesus wants us to live as his followers. That's a disciple. So with that definition, I want you to notice some things that happen on this trip that I think gives us a picture of a relational pathway that helps us build discipleship. The disciples were together to begin with. And that kind of gives us a, a beginning emphasis today of what I'm talking about in relationships. It said they were together. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They're traveling together. They're on this journey together. And the, the rumor gives the idea of maybe uh, piercing through uh, in, in a test or an experience or, or, or a trial. So to me, all that word there gives me this picture of these disciples who had been through quite a lot recently because days earlier they had seen Jesus crucified and buried and now they've had to you know, had grow accustomed to the fact that hey what he said he really meant he took his life back up and he's been walking around and he's been popping up and showing up and in, in, in our in our lives 
And, and Jesus gives them this command. He tells them, I want you to go. And, and they're doing it. They're traveling together. And, and they've had a lot of experience together. Guys, for you and I to be the disciples we need to be in this place as believers, we need to be together. You know, we, we need to be doing life together. We need to be traveling on a, on a relational pathway that, that Jesus directs us, kind of like the disciples were. Not only were they together, we can also learn from this story that they were obedient. The disciples were obedient. They were obedient. It said they went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I'm glad Jesus can lead us to mountaintop experiences, aren't you? I'm glad he can, can, can guide us to mountains and get us out of valleys sometimes. But he had directed them. And, and the word directed means he had arranged it in an orderly manner. He had given an assignment to these disciples. He had appointed these disciples. He had determined and ordained and set a time that they were supposed to meet with him. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do, and they do it. That's a picture of discipleship. Not just in going somewhere Jesus tells us to go, but everything Jesus says in the Bible. There, there are all kinds of distinctives that Jesus gives to the Christian life in the New Testament. And he expects us to grab them and not just know them in our head. He wants us to live them out in our life. And we've been talking about that all through this series. He, he wants us to be obedient. He wants us to, to respond to what he, he tells us to do. On this trip, when they get there... <clears throat> we're told this, that the disciples worshiped, that the disciples worshiped. That's part of discipleship, guys. Discipleship is not just if you sit down across from a table. It is this, and we're going to be encouraging this more and trying to create environments at Day 3 Church for this to happen, where we sit down at some tables together, three or four of us, and we go through a process of discipleship with each other. Yes, that's part of it. But another part of discipleship in our own lives, in our lives corporately, is this. We come together and we're so thankful for what Jesus has done for us that we worship. That we come together and we worship him. Worship is not just when there's a band on the stage and they're playing. That's not all that worship is. I want you to notice what the word worship means. I almost had my wife to bring one of our dogs with us today. But uh, I, I thought that she would get so excited when she was brought to the stage, she's going to pee all over the place and, and things like that. So I decided a, a, against that. But look, here's why I say that. Look, look at the definition of worship. To kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. To crouch, to prostrate oneself in homage. To do reverence or to adore. A dog... Responds like that to its master because after it figures out that, that you love it, you're the one that puts food in the bowl, you're the one that puts water in the bowl. And a dog comes over like they're worshiping th their owner. Now, now cats are different. Cats, if you think your cat's worshiping you when it rubs up against you, you're mistaken. Cats are marking you and they think you belong to them, you're their territory. That's the mindset of a cat. <clears throat> but, but, but dogs, Look at us as though we're their master. And that's why they want to lick on our hand and everything. So, so that gives me a picture of how appreciative I ought to be to Jesus for what he's done for me. You know, he, he's done a lot more than just put food in a bowl for me. And, and pat me on the, the head and, and care for me like that. He died on the cross for my sins. 
These disciples had closely seen him die, knew that he was buried, knew that he took his life back up. And here they are at this prescribed meeting that Jesus appointed for them to come and meet with him upon this mountain. And when they see him, they worship him. I tell you what, you might not be, you might be a really reserved person and you might think you're not into demonstrative worship. I tell you one day it's going to change when you see Jesus face to face. And, and you recognize all that he's done for you. That's going to change because you're going to worship. That's part of discipleship. Hey, the, the, the angels did that. The angels did reverence. They adored Jesus at his birth. Jesus didn't die for the angels. I mean, Jesus died for us. And part of our discipleship is to worship him. The disciples are also, and don't let this throw you too much, but the disciples are also honest about their faith. Honest about their faith. I love that the Bible doesn't sweep things under the rug. Amen? It tells us the good, bad, and the ugly. And here in this experience, right before they received the Great Commission, the Bible says, but some doubted. Put everything I just said a minute ago into a filter and view that statement. They had seen the resurrected Jesus. <laughs> they had seen him die on the cross. They had seen the nail scars. Yet some of them somehow were still doubting within themselves. The word doubt means to kind of duplicate. In other words, you're wavering between two decisions, two opinions, instead of being, being settled. Now, the reason I said don't let that bother you extremely is this. And I want you to catch this. I want you to listen to it. God can handle your doubts. Amen? Disciples are honest. Disciples don't try to ignore the fact the way they're really feeling about their faith. God wants you to be honest with yourself and honest with him. Because until you're honest with yourself about your faith, he can't really get you over it. He can't get you beyond that doubt until you're really honest with him. So I, I don't want you to feel like it's, it's always a terrible, terrible thing for you to maybe have some doubts. Even these disciples had some doubts. Because the Bible said they, that they doubted. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk specifically about the Great Commission. Relational discipleship pathways are also not just pictured and these disciples going to this mountain to receive the Great Commission, relational discipleship pathways are also instructed through the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and he said this, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Look at what some of that means. All authority... It literally means, whether you like it or not, all, any, every, the whole. <laughs> so whether you like that in your life or not, here's the truth. Let me just boil that down. Jesus is boss. Whether he's your boss or not, that's because you're not following him, but he is boss. He is controller. He is Lord. He's the CEO of all creation, of all the universe. He, he is in all authority. 
He has all the ability, all the privilege, all the force, all the capacity, all the competency, all the freedom, all the mastery, all the superhuman ability. What Jesus does and, and the authority Jesus had displayed in his life when he was here on the earth gives us a token, a picture of his control. He has his delegated influence and a power from the Father. Jesus has all authority in heaven. And that means in a fixed position in heaven. Jesus has all authority. What about when he was on the earth? He was still God. Amen. He, he in a fixed position has all authority in heaven, but it says also on the earth. And that kind of talks about a superimposition of time, place, order, being over something, upon something, uh, you know, of, of rest. In other words, it just exists there of direction. And what that more or less is saying is this. Yes, Jesus has all authority in heaven all the time, but Jesus also has all authority on the earth. Now, now let me give you some pictures of that. If you want to see how much Jesus had all authority and how much this should have spoke to the heart of the disciples as he's given them the great commission, just look at some of his ministry on earth when he was here. Man, he was healing blind people. He was raising dead people. He was still in storms. He was walking on the water like it was nothing. He was getting on a boat and it being the first speedboat in history and all of a sudden making it to the shore. He, he was feeding people, taking a few loaves and fishes and, and blessing it and, and feeding a, a whole crowd. He was doing this and this and this and this and this, clearly showing his authority in this world. They nailed him to a cross. They put him in a tomb. They sealed it up. But he took his life back up on the third day. Why? Because he has all authority. So he had proved to these disciples abundantly that he had authority on the earth. So he's given them this mindset about he's a, he's boss, he's in charge, he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and then he goes on to tell them some things. To start with, <coughs> with all authority, Jesus said go. With all authority, Jesus said go. Guys, you might be thinking, you might be thinking as I walk through this, this is overly simplified. It is simple. Our problem is we don't get it and we don't do it. He said, go. Now, even without me doing the word study in the Greek, what does go mean? Huh? Here it's, it's plural. So he's talking to all the disciples, all disciples through the ages. So you can't just say, well, yeah, that was for them. It's in the Greek aorist tense, which means this. It means as you are going. A lot of churches and Christians have thought about the Great Commission being in this terminology. Well, if our church has a visitation night, then we'll show up and then we'll go. And that's doing the Great Commission. Now, that's not what Jesus told the disciples to do. Well, if we do a mission trip, then we'll sign up and we'll go on the mission trip and we will go as we go on the mission trip. That's only part of what Jesus said to do. What Jesus literally said based upon the tense in the Greek is this, as you are going. In other words, as you're living your life, as you go to the supermarket, as you go to work, as you go to school, whatever environment you find yourself in, if you're a Christian, as you are going, you're supposed to be looking for opportunities to make disciples. 
Not just some organized effort of where we're going to go out and try and do it. Your life as a believer, my life as a believer, is that as we are going, we're making relationships with people. As we are going, we're looking for opportunities to try and make disciples. As we're traveling this world, traversing this world, as we're living our life, as we're on this journey of life, as the, the root word means a test, attempt, experience, to pierce through. He said, as you are going, therefore, what does the therefore mean? Therefore points right back to what we just talked about. What did we just talk about? Jesus said, all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. Then he says, go therefore. That means this, because he said, I have all authority and I'm telling you to go. Therefore, you're supposed to actually do what I'm telling you. You're supposed to go. As you are going based upon the authority of me, Jesus is saying, you're to be going to make disciples. With all authority, Jesus says, go. With all authority, Jesus said, make disciples. He said, make disciples of all nations. To become a pupil, to disciple, to enroll as a scholar. To be that learner, that pupil, to to learn that we talked about what discipleship means a, a moment ago. Jesus never said, make church members. Jesus never said, make converts, baptize them, and then leave them alone. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Think about church. The church in this world has been like a manufacturing facility. A lot of you guys have worked in them. There's, uh, you know, a, a conveyor belt lines, production lines, and things like that. The people are there working to make this product. Well, what we ought to be doing as a church on our conveyor belt of all that we do as a church is make disciples. That's our product. That's what we're to manufacture. That's what Jesus calls us to do as a church. That's what he calls you to do as a believer. As you are living your life, as you are going, Jesus has told you to do it with his authority that you are to go and make disciples. Which, by the way, is why we have these words on the wall. Our vision statement says, be the body of Christ. That means you and I are connected to Christ. He's the head and we're part of his body. Our vision statement says we're going to build believers. That means we're trying to build each other up. We're trying our best to disciple each other, to build each other up, to be the best we can be for Jesus. With the end result of this, it's not so we can walk around that we're just, uh, you know, so uh, overflowing in our lives with the gospel that we can walk around and, and think about how much we know, how much we've been taught. No, the purpose is to change the world. The purpose is for us to be the body of Christ, to be believers and change the world. That, that happens like this in our mission statement. We need to connect with God. If we're going to be the body of Christ... He's the head, so we have to be connecting with God. If we're going to be building believers, it only happens in relationship. That's what we're talking about today in, in relational type pathways that we can walk to help make disciples. We have to be connecting with others. You can't make disciples if you go and live your life as a hermit. We can't make disciples by going home, like I said earlier, and, and, and pulling up a drawbridge and saying, I don't want anybody to mess with me. I don't have time to go and, and do anything. We have to be connecting with others with the goal of 
Connecting others with God. You see, let, let me kind of be really clear on that. You can go and make friends and make friends and make friends and build relationships and everything like that. But if you as a Christian fail to pull the trigger and present the gospel to them, you're missing the point. You're missing the reason of building a relationship. You're not connecting with others just so you'll have a lot of friends. You as a believer ought to be looking at your life like this. As you are going, you're trying to build relationships so you can connect with them in order that you might connect them with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what our goal is here at day three. Jesus also with total authority said identify people with God. <clears throat> and you might read that and you say, well, that's not what it says. That is what it says. You just have to, you have to read between the lines a little bit. Jesus said baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing means to immerse. It's what the word means. Literally, the Greek word means to immerse, to submerge, to make overwhelmed, to make fully wet. And we're doing it in the name of, in, in, in the Jewish way of thinking, the name of a person meant their authority, their character. So as we baptize people, we've got someone to baptize in our next service. As we baptize people, we're doing it in the name of the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the reason I'm saying identify people with this, that's what baptism is. Jesus was baptized. He didn't need to be baptized, did he? See, baptism doesn't save anybody anyway, but Jesus didn't need salvation. Jesus didn't need to go through the process of being baptized except for this reason. He was setting an example for us. He was identifying himself with us. So when we baptize people, what we're doing publicly is that we're identifying that person with Christ. We're identifying them with God because of their relationship with Jesus. So that's what he calls us to do. We're to be identifying people with Christ, with God. With all authority, Jesus said this. I'm going to use this phrase called teaching application. Teaching application. He said teaching them. He didn't just stop there, did he? Teaching them to do what? What does it say? Oh, come on, guys. And you say it loud enough to hear it online. <laughs> Teaching them to observe. All that I've commanded you. So, so Jesus calls us as we make disciples, not just to fill their head up with information. Jesus is calling us to teach them. To teach them in a way that they can apply it to their life. The, the words he uses there, teaching means to learn, to teach in a broad application. But he says that they will observe all. And the word that he used for observing the Greek means a watch. <coughs> it means to guard from loss or injury. It means to keep the eye upon. It means to hold fast. Everything, all that he had commanded, that he had enjoined his disciples to do, that he had, had in, a, in a fixed position, Jesus had taught them some things and set some things out that he said, your life needs to be about. See, we're missing it in our churches 
And we're missing it in our small groups. And we're missing it in children's ministry. Or we would be missing it in teaching youth if all we do is give head knowledge to people. Jesus wants us to teach people to observe. Teach people to live it in their life. Teach people to take it and make it active in their lives. The things that Jesus said. He wants it to be real in our lives. Lived out in our lives. And that's why I said we need to be teaching application. And then Jesus said this. With total authority. And I love this part. Jesus said, I'm with you until next week. I'm with you for the next, um, next 30 minutes or so while you're in church. What does he say? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The word little end, we, uh, we read across end in the, in the English and just don't even think about it. But in the Greek, it has a copulative or, or cumulative force. In other words, what Jesus is saying has something to do with what he just said. When he told us to go, when he told us to make disciples of all nations, when, when he told us to baptize them and teach them everything that he had said, then he adds to it this. I'm with you always. He, he says, behold, I'm, I'm with you always. And, and that more or less means, hey, lo, wake up, see something, understand something. That, that I'm with you always. And the, the, all that phrase there, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus used the, the phrase that he used for the great I am statements. Jesus is saying, I exist. And I said in an emphatic way, I exist. I'm accompanying you. I'm with you. I'm in mid you. I'm joined with you. I'm, I'm occupying a position with you. He said, I exist with you concerning you. All, any, every, the whole, same word we saw a minute ago. Until the entire completion or consummation of a dispensation or an age or perpetually. See, a lot of people don't like some of the newer translations when changes take place because they say, well, I like it where it says he's with me to to the end of, of the world. But if he's with you until the end of the age, here's the deal with that. When this age is over, guess what? We're with him. He he's with us now, and then we're gonna be with him. The point Jesus is making is this. As you go and do what I've told you to do, you're not doing it alone. I'm with you. I'm going to help you. I'll be with you as you're going through your life. I'll be with you as you're trying to make disciples. I will be with you as you're trying to teach them to observe everything, as you baptize them, as you share the gospel with them. Jesus is saying, I am with you to the very end of the age. And if we could just somehow gravitate to that and grab that part of it, instead of you and I making excuses about as we're going make disciples, we would understand something. I can do what Jesus told me to do because he's with me. Because he's going to empower me. He's going to help me (coughs) to do what I need to do. 
All I'm kind of telling you is this. Foundationally, we must realize fulfilling the Great Commission requires building relationships. As you're going, you're meeting people, aren't you? All of us do. As you're going, you're bumping into people. God's putting people in your pathway. As you're going, we're meeting people. We need to be making disciples of those people that we meet. All nations means all nations. It means all people. They may not even be like you or anything like you at all relationally or, or the hobbies that you like or, or, or even racially or whatever it might be. They, they may be completely different in their focus of life, but, but they're part of all nations. <clears throat> As we're going, we're going to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them is relational. Somebody's being baptized, someone's doing it. Even that's a picture of, of a relationship taking place. We're doing it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I didn't say anything about this earlier because I saved it to now. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit give us a picture of the most perfect relationship that's ever existed. The most perfect relationship that's ever existed. They're never at odds with each other. They're one, one God revealed in three persons. And if you want to see a perfect relationship in harmony, God the Father so loved us that He sent His Son. The Son kept honoring the Father. Kept honoring the Father. God would honor the Son. He'd say, this is my beloved Son. The Holy Spirit would do what? The Holy Spirit selflessly honors Jesus and reminds people of Jesus. No competition between them. A perfect picture of a relationship. And, and that's the kind of relationships we need to try and build, especially with each other's believers. Teaching others requires a relationship. Think about how practical that is. How can you teach somebody? How can you disciple someone unless you're with them? Who are you going to disciple if you're not with them, how can you disciple someone if you're not building a relationship with them? And that's why this last mention of this series is so important that we understand it's hugely relational for us to try and make disciples. Jesus being with us always is hugely relational. He's always there. And we need to be relational with others and make disciples. <clears throat> Number two this morning, as we think about relational pathways, relational discipleship pathways can also be seen in Paul's method. In Paul's method. Look what Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, the word entrust is a bank in terminology in the Greek. It means you're depositing something. Just like you go to the bank and you put money on deposit. Paul is saying what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Deposit that to faithful men who will be able to deposit that also. To teach others also what I have taught you. Now, I'm sure you probably know the background of this. That Paul is a mentor for young Timothy going into the ministry. And Paul is telling Timothy a lot of things. 
Paul's reminding him, hey, what you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses is like Paul's bringing accountability to bear. And guys, that's what we're going to have to do with our discipleship process at Day 3 Church and with us, with us multiplying our small groups. We're going to have to bring in an accountability level. So kind of be praying about that and get ready for it and don't take it wrong whenever it happens. For us to build more small groups, some of you that are in a small group need to become group leaders. Daryl's going to be offering training this summer. And some of you that are in a small group, as you've been part of that small group for a long time, you need to be willing to step away from those friends in that small group so there'll be additional room in that small group. And so a new small group that start will have additional room for people to come and build new relationships and new friends and have a continual process of that. We've said that from the beginning. We've always said that, but we've not held you accountable. We're not going to try and make you mad, but I'm going to tell you something. For us to grow our discipleship program at Day 3 Church, we're going to have to multiply, not divide and think of it as multiply. We're going to have to multiply small groups. And you might be thinking, well, I don't want to leave my small group. I want to remind you about something. It's not about you to begin with. It's about God and other people. And that comes first before us worrying about having to leave our small group. He's teaching Timothy, he's saying, the things you've heard me teach, I want you to pass on to others. He's saying, picture it like this. It's as though Paul is saying to Timothy, I've given you God's treasure of the gospel. (laughs) I've deposited in you these truths. And that's the same thing that's true of us. God has given us a great treasure. He's given us the treasure of of the gospel. He's deposited the gospel in us. He, he's deposited us the truth of God's word in, in us. And what we're supposed to do with that deposit is to turn around and faithfully deposit it into the life of other people. God has put it to our banking account and we need to put it in the banking account of other people to where we disciple them, where we deposit God's truth in them and other people who will faithfully turn around and do the same thing. You see, what eventually happens is this. There'll be a snowballing effect that takes place in the discipleship process of the church. If you and I will be willing to disciple others, and as I've already been telling you, if you need to be better disciples, some of you have already indicated that. We're working on a process and a plan right now to help you. But if you need to be better disciple, let us know and we'll help you. But I'm not going to help you just so you can feel like, oh man, I know a whole lot more. With you being a disciple, there's going to be an expectation for you to turn around, grab two or three people yourself and disciple them. And once you disciple those two or three people, they're going to go out and find two or three people and you're going to find two or three people more. And eventually what happens is this, there's going to be this snowballing effect. Like a snowball rolling down a hill where it picks up more and more momentum, more and more speed, becomes larger and larger. That will happen with our discipleship program if we will do what Paul recommends here, if we'll follow his method here. You see, in order to do what Paul's talking about, it requires a very relational pathway. The method of discipleship is clearly established and seen in this verse. Someone build a relationship with us, someone build a relationship with you, Somewhere along the way, they share the gospel with you. Now you're to turn around and build a relationship with someone else and share the gospel with them. That person's supposed to do the same, and there'll be this spreading effect that takes place from the gospel. Earlier, 
in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 20, here's what Paul said to Timothy. O Timothy, there's a typo there, it's in your updates too. Um, it, it says 2 Timothy, it's supposed to be 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20 says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted in you. So he's telling him up front, hey, the, the truth that you have, guard it. God had entrusted the glorious gospel with Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11 says this, In accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have entrusted. Paul had been entrusted with the gospel. I want you to notice what Paul calls the church next. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, look what Paul calls the church. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Now look what he calls a church. And depending on the translation, it'll read a little bit different. But the English Standard Version says this, a pillar in the buttress of truth. That's who we are as the church. The truth of God has been deposited in us. We're like a pillar, but we're also like a battering ram. To take the message and the truth of the gospel to other people. See, the, the task of the church isn't to take the truth of God's word and to hide it away like it's in a museum. God has deposited the truth of the gospel and the truth of his word, the discipleship that we have in our own lives. He's deposited not so it can be like a museum. He's deposited like it's a precious treasure that we're to take and share with the whole world. As we are going, go back to the Great Commission, as we are living our lives, we're to be passing it on to others. You see, that's what discipleship is. That's what we call discipleship, to, to live it in our lives, to teach it and pass it on to others. That's discipleship. If you've ever taken a rock, and probably all of you have, you've taken a rock, a stone, and you've thrown it out in the middle of a puddle or in the middle of a, of a pond or something, what happens when you do that? These little ripples start. And it, start right, it starts right where the rock was thrown in, and the ripples just continue to spread out all across that body of water. See, that ought to be a picture of discipleship and you and I fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus has thrown a rock of his gospel, a rock of his truth into our lives. It ought to ripple out and ripple out and ripple out and ripple out to where it has a huge impact as we begin to disciple and share with others. Jesus said this, or, or Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what we're to be doing as disciples ourselves. We're to be living out in our lives where we can tell others, follow the example that we're setting before you as I follow Christ, as I follow Christ, as I follow Christ. Next two things I need to cover really quickly with you. So look, stay stay engaged real quickly so I can cover these. Third thing is this this morning. Relational discipleship pathways are walked in God's power. They're walked in his power. Kind of goes back to the thought of the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given me. He said, I'm with you always. Look what Paul writes here in Colossians chapter 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Now look at the relationship uh, pathway here, the discipleship pathway. Him we proclaim. That's what we're supposed to be proclaiming, Jesus. Sharing that with other people. We're to be warning everyone, hey, there's a real judgment to come. There is a real hell to come unless you trust in this Jesus I'm sharing with you. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Notice this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the point of sharing the gospel. That's the point of teaching people that they may become more and more like Jesus. For this we toil and struggle. Simply put, guys, for you to decide that you're going to enter this discipleship pathway that we're trying to create at Day 3 Church, it'll take some work on your behalf. It will take some time. It will take some commitment. It will take some dedication. Sometimes it will be like toiling. Sometimes it will be like struggling. But I want you to notice what else he said. With all his, his energy, not yours, not your power, not your ability, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The Holy Spirit of God that's in your life wants to empower you to be a disciple that makes disciples. You're to do it and walk these relationship pathways as you're living your life, trying to fulfill the Great Commission. You're to remember you're doing it in God's power, not your own. <coughs> Last thing I want you to see is this. <clears throat> Relational discipleship pathways are lived together. Are lived together. I don't have time to to impact to, to unpack this in a large way, but but I want you to see a picture of the early church. And they devoted themselves. That's commitment there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They they were devoting themselves to doctrine. To the breaking of bread and prayers. That's more than just talking about the Lord's Supper. They were meeting together. They were fellowshipping together. That's one of the reasons we do our our life groups once again. That's why I said earlier, you need to sign up for one. When you hear us talk about life groups, it gives you an opportunity to break bread with other people, to fellowship with other people, to pray together. And because of this relational discipleship pathway that the early church was walking, as they were devoted themselves to, to teaching, to doctrine, to, to fellowship, I want you to notice what happened. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. Not division, not controversy in their body. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were taking care of each other's needs. Day by day, attending the temple together, going to worship together, breaking bread in their homes. Day by day. Not just on Sunday, not just maybe two or three times a month. Not just Easter and Christmas. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts because of what God was doing through this relational thing, this relational discipleship in their lives. They had joy 
in their hearts. And praising God and having favor with all the people. In other words, they were so authentic. People looked at them and they thought, that's real. That's something I like to have. They had favor with all the people. And then look at this. And the Lord added. The Lord added to their number. Day by day. Those who were being saved. Because of that relation, relational discipleship pathway that those early believers were walking, God was adding to their number day by day. People were coming to Christ and being saved. I don't know about y'all, but I'd like to see that one time before I die. I'd like to see that at Day 3 Church before my time is over at Day 3 Church. Wouldn't you love to see that we as a body are so relationally walking discipleship pathways. We're so looking as we're living our lives, as we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. Wouldn't you love to see every day people being saved? I'm not talking about this on Sunday. Every day as you live in your life, as you're being in relationships with others, every day people are coming across, people are being saved. And then we see it here as we come together and worship and as they come and join us. Do you really want that? Do you really, would you really, really like to see it? If so, you're going to have to walk some relational pathways. Intentionally being involved in discipleship for us to see that really, really happen. Father, Father, we pray that you have spoken to hearts this morning. Father, I pray that you have given us a wake-up call to understand how relational discipleship needs to be. Father, I pray that you burden our hearts, you convict us right now to, to so be willing as we're living our lives, as we're going, as believers, that we'll be teaching people what you've commanded us, that we'll be having opportunities to, to baptize them. Father, no no matter what nationality, no matter what their background, no matter how different or similar they are to us, God, help us to wake up. And as we live our lives, in whatever capacity we live our lives, Father, as we're living our lives, give us a burden and a desire and eyes to see to try and build relationships with other people so we can make disciples. God, help us to, to, to faithfully discipleship others, to disciple others, to practice discipleship in our midst. Father, help us to, to, to invest it as a treasure into the lives of faithful men and women who in turn will turn around and invest it in the lives of faithful men and women so we can see your gospel spread, so we can see a huge impact all across our community, Father, all across our state, all across our nation. Help, help our churches to become disciple-making churches. Father, help us to recognize it's not in our ingenuity, but it's in your power and in your authority that we can do it in our lives. Father, help us walk this pathway together like the early church. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I understand the message today and the message in this whole series has been predominantly to the church. Because I feel like God's wanting to give a, a, a clear call.
to us that we need to wake up. And it's not just about coming to church and filling a place in a seat and hearing a message and going living your life until the next week. And then you come back and you fill a place in the seat. Or you come back in two or three weeks and fill a place in the seat. And you sing and you hear and you go away. That's not what God's called us to do. God has called us to make disciples. God has called us as you are living your life to be making disciples. And I hope you heard that call in this series. Because this is the end of the messages, but it don't need to be the end of an emphasis of discipleship in our hearts as individuals or as a church. So I hope you've heard this call in this series. And I'm praying that you've made decisions that you're going to start intentionally trying to walk a relational pathway with other people so you can share the gospel with them. So you can help them become more and more like Jesus. I hope you made a decision that you're going to walk with each other in small groups and other discipleship opportunities we're going to create to where you can become a better disciple so you can better disciple somebody else. With all that being said, if you don't know Christ this morning, that's where it starts. If you don't know Jesus, I hope you'll come to this invitation and just tell me that. And after the service, we'll spend some time or I'll have somebody else spend some time talking with you about what it means to trust Christ. But for the rest of us, do you really want to see the church be like the church was in Acts? Do you really want to see that type of fellowship and that type of communion and that type of impact to where day by day God's adding to the church? If you really want to see that, you have to take responsibility yourself and start making disciples. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to pay that price? If you are, I hope you'll pray and tell God about it during the service. I hope you'll come and kneel and pray and tell God about it just so people will kind of see, hey, you're serious about it. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.